You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and today I am joined by Lachlan from At The Whittle Reads. Lachlan runs this Instagram account with his partner V and he is here today to talk to me firstly about our favorite fantasy reads as well as to have a chat about his bookstagram and booktube account and we will finish off the podcast by talking about Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu. The icebreaker question for today is what is your favorite fantasy read? Yeah okay for me it would be Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It's a book Uh, It appears on a lot of the lists, so I I don't feel like I need to give it some massive rambly intro. You're introduced to the main character much, much later on to where most of the story takes place, and something has happened in their past. They are just running a small inn and are in a very uh, depressed, negative state, and it's kind of regaling this person who shows up to the inn with their story. And so it's, it's kind of got this whole sense of foreboding and two out of the trilogy have already come out and you still have no idea how we got there. The thing that I absolutely loved about this book is I was halfway through a physics degree when I uh, read most of it and the magic system in this world is just so intricate. It, it doesn't feel like magic pasted on to a world. It really does feel a part of the world. Like there are very strict rules and it's not at all like overpowered, like there are some significant battles, but he never, you know, suddenly gets some burst and is the chosen one and has some magical ability. He just uses the little power he has very intelligently to, you know, overcome these big challenges whilst also being this deep world and, and this law and this big villain in the background. So it's, it's just an intricate book, which I feel is well-crafted in just so many different ways. I absolutely love it. I'm not a huge fantasy reader, so I was keen to talk to someone and see what their thoughts were. Mine's probably a bit generic. Mine is A Court of Mist and Fury, which is the second book of A Court of Roses and Thorns. And I think I initially fell in love with it because of the beauty and the beast meets the Hunger Games. Tell me about it, because I've seen those books around, but I haven't, I don't know much about the world. Yeah, so essentially, it is definitely based in another world. They do refer to humans within the world, but it is mostly Fae. And the central character, she uh, is initially a human, and she's kind of kidnapped by uh, one of these Fae. That's where it kind of meets Beauty and the Beast, where Tamlin, who is the person who kidnaps her and takes her, it kind of comes about that he needs to fall in love to... And and I can't remember the first book as well because it's not my favourite one. But then, yeah, it kind of captures her and like Beauty and the Beast needs to try and fall in love with her kind of before the last petal falls off the rose. But then from then she's kind of swept up into their world and all the different courts that exist and the different characters. And there's this huge twist that kind of happens in the second book that just, yeah, captured me and I was like, right. I'm in. And the next book, which I believe is A A Court of Silver Flames, is released next year. And it's two characters kind of shift off together. So it doesn't follow the central characters anymore. But tell us about your bookstagram account. Sure. Uh, I guess uh, we've been doing it for around, uh, since the beginning of the year, we being my partner V and I. Uh, Yeah, on the account, I I go by L. But we... It was originally just her thing because I 
whilst I was, I was such a reader as a kid, I really did kind of fall out of reading for a long time and for a few years. And Name of the Wind was really the thing that got me uh, back into it. So it was this year that it was the first time I had any idea of a reading goal. I just wanted to read 10 books in the whole year and I'm, I'm almost at 50. But I thought that, you know, because she adores books and is one of the reasons I got back into reading in, in, in such a big way. And I thought this bookstagram account would be a, a good way to help motivate me to read. And so it was, you know, most people create, they love books so much, they create uh, a bookstagram account. For me, it was almost the other way around. I try to use the bookstagram account to like foster my love for reading. And so, yeah, it became this thing we both do. And because it's both of us, you know, V and I have quite different tastes where uh, she absolutely loves romance books. She does also love Court of Mist and Fury, that whole, that whole series. And like, oh, what's it called? Uh, Throne of Glass. She absolutely loves Jane Austen. That, like Pride and Prejudice is a favorite book of all time. But yeah, so it's, we've got kind of that side. And then I'm very much fantasy, sci-fi and like contemporary classics. And so... There's a bit of a smattering of everything where we do have a few reviews. We do have just some hauls and just pictures of our shelves. But yeah, it's a bit of everything. But it was just started out of, you know, she started it just because she wanted to do it. But for me, it was, I wanted to get into it just to try to help me read more. And I think it's definitely done that. Yes, I think that's uh, fair to say. It's good to see um, accounts that have a range of different books that suit a whole range of different readers and the people yeah. find bookstagram accounts for all different reasons and especially yeah i like that you've said that you use your account as a as a motivator to read rather than the other way around as well and you also have a youtube account or booktube account yeah uh, that was it actually came about i, I was reading uh, left hand of darkness by ursula Le Guin, and i was trying to do a review i was trying to fit all of the thoughts I had about that book into, you know, the character limit of Instagram, which is pretty generous. And I couldn't, I, there was just so much I wanted to say. And it's just, you know, Instagram shockingly is a place for photos. Uh, it's not a place for like tons and tons of paragraphs on. So, you know, it's not, it's not for like in-depth book reviews or analyses. That's not what it's for. And that, you know, that's not any, anything against Instagram. It's just not its purpose. And so, I just wanted a place I could ramble. And that was the, the point of the YouTube channel, which, you know, I've gone on with and, enjoy, and enjoying uh, quite, quite a lot. But sure. how do you feel about putting yourself out there, especially on um, BookTube, with your own opinions about books? Like, do you ever feel like, oh, the author's going to come and find me and then they're not going <laughs> to like me? Or I'm going to have um, some, some person who really disagrees with what I've said? Before I put out any controversial opinion I always like preempt it with but I got no idea what I'm talking about you know that kind of a thing like because whilst I do want to do this literary analysis like there are some people I follow on YouTube who have got degrees in writing and I don't like you know I've had to, I've had to write a lot for my degree but that is not even close to the same thing I haven't analyzed literature properly uh, and so whilst it is my own opinion I really do try to enforce the subjectivity of what I'm saying and just say, you know, but that's just what I think. Who knows? You know, but, but authors have had to take criticism. So as long as I'm being fair, I don't think any author will be deeply offended. Fans, however, that's mm. different. My account is so small at this point that I don't have to worry, but I did notice that like my first few videos were just constantly positive. Overwhelmingly, I didn't have a single criticism for any of the books, even though I held onto them. Like I, I had criticisms ready that I like left, like I, I held back just because I don't know a lot of people I watch on on uh, BookTube are just generally like happy bubbly people, 
But as I've started to follow a few more people who actually do have quite insightful, critical things to say, I've tried to like do that more myself, but it's definitely my instinct is to never say anything. I never want to be impolite because, you know, writing a book's hard, man. And I don't want to insult someone who's gone through the effort of that. Uh, and also like the biggest thing I'm afraid of is coming off as like snobby and like, you know, uh, you know, YA fantasy is, isn't good writing and things like that. You know, I don't want to say that because I know that that is a narrative that some people say, especially people who love like Tolkien and the like more, uh, more literary uh, fantasy. And it's just not true. They're just different books with different people. I personally don't enjoy them as much, but that's for my own reasons because I'm, I'm, I'm reading for a different purpose. It, it's good. It's making me think my opinions. Before I say any criticism, I always think through and say, is this actually a valid criticism? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I feel like Bookstagram is actually a place that's okay with either your positive or your negative opinions. And I do know that sometimes um, like authors have liked a review that I've posted and sometimes it makes me really nervous. I do know though, if I tend to write a review that might only be maybe two stars, I tend not to tag the book or to tag the author. Um, Do you want to get into talk about Dark Emu? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So just some things to note um, about Dark Emu, just for anyone who's listening that hasn't uh, read it before. So Dark Emu is, uh, has been written by Bruce Pascoe. It puts forward an argument for a reconsideration of the hunter-gatherer tag for pre-colonial Aboriginal Australians. Some fun facts about the book that I found quite interesting was that our members of parliament and senators actually discussed Bruce Pascoe's book Dark Emu as the first Australian parliamentary book club in February of this year. Dark Emu also inspired a production that Bangara has created as well or had created. Um, It's not a current production of theirs anymore but right. I found that really interesting that a non-fiction book actually yeah can inspire many different things and yeah that, yeah no that's it. really cool yeah yeah my first question I guess I'll start with is what were your reasons for reading this book well it had been on my radar for a little bit because the big thing is uh you know I'm in Australia now and I'm Australian you know I was born here but I lived a vast majority of my life overseas. I actually grew up mostly in the Middle East. And so I knew I'd never received any formal education about indigenous people. And so I knew next to nothing. And what I, you know, I had gotten drips and drabs. That was one of the main reasons I wanted to read a book on indigenous culture and, you know, this, this country's history. The reason this one in particular, this one, was in the news a bit, and it's something I do want to talk about at some point, is there was a bit of controversy, which I feel is mostly unfounded, but w- there's plenty of conversation to be had there. Yeah, it was just an interesting book. It, it's won awards, it has been discussed, and it is, in my opinion, a very good historical source. Uh, my, my academic background, I started off in physics, but I ended up uh, majoring in the history and philosophy of science. So I'm not a historian by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying I am, but I've had to do uh, a lot of work involving understanding historical context and understanding historical sources and assessing sources uh, for their validity. And this book kind of definitely made me do all of those things. Yeah, I I just missed out on so much about Australian Indigenous heritage that I I wanted to educate myself on that. And uh, 
this this is the book I wanted to do it with. And one of the things that spurred on when I read it was one of the Dimmick's reading challenge was to read a uh, book by an indigenous author. And so this was one of the recommendations. So that was the final kick, but I, it was on my list for a while. I like that you you connected to the idea of, of well, that you didn't actually grow up um, in Australia or do a lot of your formal schooling in Australia. As someone who did, I had no idea about any of this. So this isn't at all um, what was taught in schools when I was in primary school. We certainly learnt about uh, the convicts and the gold rush. And it probably wasn't really until I started teaching and we teach ancient Australia uh, in year seven. I haven't taught it for a few years now. Other than actually teaching it myself and having to look into it myself, I didn't know a whole lot. It makes me feel really ashamed that I wasn't given an education that has our First Nations peoples embedded within. So for me, this book was a way for me to educate myself a lot more than I ever had the opportunity to. And as a teacher, it was something I felt like I needed to know about and, and use with my students in future. That's why I gravitated towards it. Yeah. We've discussed why we wanted to read the book, but what sorts of things did you learn through reading the book? Well, do not know, never learned much about Australian agriculture. And just talking about how Australia never had hooved animals. You know, if you look at all natural Australian animals, they they do not have, you know, the, 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 the dense hooves that imported animals did. And so just how just farmers coming in to letting a flock of sheep walk in front of them destroyed land and made it unsalvageable land that had been uh, developed for centuries or maybe even millennia had, that was just so quickly destroyed and by and because farmers would just let their sheep go before them by the time the farmer showed up it would be gone it would already be damaged so you were kind of erasing history before we even approached it uh, and I'm not trying to say that it was not intentional maybe not that one incident but like yeah so because one of the best things is that the Historical sources that Bruce Pascoe references are the journals of white settlers. They are the, the accounts and the sources that would be most biased against Indigenous people. And he points out where they are, and yet he can use them to paint this narrative. Like, it just doesn't make sense as an argument trying to it, criticize uh, Pascoe rather than the sources themselves, which you can find in almost any museum. He gives, he gives you the places where you can go and read these accounts firsthand, and I have. They're there and they say exactly what he says they do. I, and I haven't actually looked into the controversy too much around the book. So yeah. for me, that was, that was a little bit of a lesson as well in, in what's exist, what exists. Um, I think that's something I tend to do with books is I don't tend to pay too much attention to the um, controversy that's out there. And I know it's that... It's a far wiser decision, honestly. Yeah. It's far better. <laughs> it's, just, it's not worth it. Yeah. I tend to take books just as like I do with people is yeah once you actually pick it up and have a read of it um yeah to yeah. make your own mind up about exactly. it yeah it's, it's yeah criticism is great criticism is fine we need healthy criticism like there's just been this like attempted character assassination of Pasco himself and it's just ridiculous because it's barely him like obviously he's the author and he's kind of put these sources together but if you took out everything from this book that was Pasco and just gave the references list that he didn't write a word of, you would still have a very coherent argument. Like, 
it's just it, that the argument against Pasco himself as a person is an argument that will only ever appeal to people who have never read this book. He took such a direct approach at making this a nonfiction work. And whilst there was that little section at the end uh, on our potential future, talking about as our land becomes drier and hotter through global warming or what have you, returning to, you know, uh, there was an indigenous uh, uh, farming belt that went almost all the way through the center of the country, land that we now class as unworkable, unmanageable, was lived on. And returning to some of those techniques using some of the naturally occurring you know, Australian vegetables and things like that, it's, it's, it's so thoroughly interesting. And whilst there is that little bit, uh, almost all of it is just saying, this is the account, this is what this white settler said was around, this is what happened. It was not meant to be a hit piece on anyone. It was not meant to be emotionally driven. It was just tried as, you know, no one can be impartial, no one can be unbiased. It was a non-fiction account of the events from the sources he could find, and I think he's done an incredible job of that, and I trust his narrative wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, and that's sometimes the beautiful thing about history as well, is because we weren't necessarily there at the time, we do have to rely on the accounts that we do have, um, and those early settlers are, are the accounts that we, yeah, we have to rely on to sort of piece together yeah. what we can. I quite liked how the book started. I liked how it started talking about the Europeans and why they would have set about to conquer rather than to have a, have a peaceful relationship with the Indigenous population within wherever they were going mm. and, yeah, Australia being one of those places. So I thought that that was a really good way to set up the context of the story and to also to set it up as this is a book for everybody to read no matter your background no matter where you're from this is something that everybody can find something from yeah. you mentioned before as well about the actual uh, the fertile land and how arid is actually a, a word itself that the europeans used to describe the the desert meaning that it was somewhere that was seen as being unfertile yet our first nations people's knew how to manipulate the land to suit themselves and to cultivate it for what they needed. You've, uh, you've mentioned like what I was going to say as well about the accounts of the early explorers and how they, these accounts prove that agricultural practices actually existed in Australia. And I certainly have a lot more deeper appreciation for our Australian flora and fauna and how farming of things such as yams should be what we are looking into, but I wonder whether or not you would ever sway the market to buy. And I was at, um, I was at a fruit and veg shop today, actually, and I saw yams for sale. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I, but until that time and until listening, because I, I listened to it as an audio book until okay, yeah, listening yeah. to Dark Emu, I, I knew I'd heard of yams, but I had no idea what they looked like. But yeah, I was almost tempted to buy some and, and to try them. So maybe next time I'm there, I'll have to. That's some of the many things that I got out of reading the book. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I God, I feel like I need to ask you a question. I haven't been, asked, oh. I haven't been a good guest. I, haven't, I need to come up with a, a good question to ask you. So was the agricultural bit, because, you know, this book is split into so many subsections. Is, is there mm. any one in particular that you found you know most interesting or was there any one particular area of it you found the most intriguing i found i'm um, talking about the building of shelters quite interesting when it actually 
put forward the theory of different shelters being created and how they were created and how many people would have fit uh, within them. I found that quite interesting and quite eye-opening. But I think too, because I listened to it as an audio book, it was a little bit harder to keep track of all the different right, subsections. Yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, but yeah. I definitely, I enjoyed the experience of listening to it as an audio book. I don't tend to read too much nonfiction by picking up a physical book. Oh, yeah. I like to listen um, to them kind of like a podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was my next question. Um, how was the narration of the audiobook? Lovely. Really Good, lovely. Okay. I really enjoyed listening to the audiobook because Bruce Pascoe himself narrates. Um, he oh, has awesome. this really earthy voice um, and you just sink right into the story and you suddenly you feel like you're standing um, in the desert while he's describing something or you're standing on yeah. the mouth of a river while he's talking about it. Yeah, it was really beautifully done. So I would highly recommend, um, especially if you're someone who doesn't like to read nonfiction, to definitely start listening to it like you would a podcast such as this one. And that is a, it's a really good point that, that you raised because like whilst it's a nonfiction text, it's so not a this happened and then this happened and then in this year, it is like a picture is set. It's almost like watching a reenactment where it is like, it is well written. It isn't just, you know, an academic historian just writing like a, a direct account. Whilst I'm not saying it's less accurate than that. I'm saying it is conveyed and portrayed in a way, which is why what you're saying about the audiobook being being that uh, immersive doesn't surprise me at all. Just the writing in it is just brilliant. And the only other question I wanted to ask you is like reading this book, was quite confronting. There are a few times I like audibly gasped, like where I just had to think of, of like really the, the meaning of, of what has happened and what is being described in this book. Did, did, did you feel the same like uh, emotional conflict reading it? Yeah, definitely. I, I find that it, it felt like something everybody should read or everybody yeah, should know about. Yeah. yeah, and even the idea of if we actually had a much better understanding of the land that we're living on and what it was used for and the spiritual importance that it had for the people who came before us. I think we'd have a lot deeper um, sense of empathy and a, a better connection, a connection and a better relationship with our first nations peoples. Oh, for sure. It's, it's just one of the things where we're reading it. You can't help, but empathize and sympathize with what is such such a such a massive issue and it's 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 reading this book like it doesn't stop when you close the book it really does give you a a a new view on things and a new motivator to try to research and then see how best you can serve first nation peoples because there's there's a lot that needs to be done definitely i think that's a perfect note to end on oh perfect (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Lachlan. No worries. Thank you so much, Tegan. It's been lovely. You have been listening to the Bookstorian podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian podcast.